everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Bison Hour. Um, I have the distinct pleasure of having Miss Channing Gardner on the show today. Thanks for coming on the show, yeah, Channing. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, just giving you a, a brief background, you own an insurance or an insurance brokerage, mm-hmm. correct? And then um, you were telling me you own two other businesses, which one is uh, you guys just started, mm-hmm. you and your husband. What is that business again? It's called Benson's. It's okay. a home maintenance subscription company. Okay. So dryer vent cleanouts, appliance maintenance, oh, okay. things that help you save money from expensive things down the road sure. and help with insurance claims if right. you have anything. You have to show maintenance records. Yeah. What are the maintenance? General maintenance is, mm-hmm. I guess, cheaper than uh, like fixing the big exactly. problem. Yeah. So you guys have that business. And then what is your other business? And then the other one is Dallery. It's a marketing company for small businesses. Okay. Um, so how did you grow up and how did you land into the business space that you're you're currently in? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how you got there. So um, my dad is a lawyer and he always worked for a for- firm. And then when I was in high school, he went and went independent. And mm-hmm. so I kind of grew up with him being an entrepreneur and, and all that. My papa owned his own insurance brokerage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I swore I would never get into insurance. <laughs> and um, he was one of the very first... Uh, agents at American Fidelity, actually. Okay. So there was a John Winblad Award and everything. And mm-hmm. he initially got me a job there. And I said, Papa, I can't fill your shoes there. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. I, they'd have such higher expectations for me. Uh-huh. So I turned it down. And then, you know, God's got a funny way of coming right back around. So when COVID hit, I lost my job. I was working at a retirement community as a move-in coordinator. And uh-huh. I loved that job and loved the residents. They didn't need a move-in coordinator when nobody was allowed Company, to move in. Right. <laughs> and so I accidentally interviewed for an insurance company. Um, I only took the job because the man that interviewed me told me how hard it would be for me and that women don't really do well in the industry. Um, and I learned a whole lot about a leader that I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a ton of mistakes with my first operations mm-hmm. and little to no experience in an actual leadership role in a corporate type structure. Sure. Um, and then after two insurance companies where I kind of got to see behind the c- curtain and the corruption and how the claims denials work and all that kind of stuff, I said, you know, I think I'm just going to start my own thing and then just buck the system. So um, rewind, how did you accidentally apply for an insurance job? I just took the first interview that somebody offered me. And I told my husband, I said, it's commission only. I don't think that this is a right fit at Mm -hmm. all, but I'll knock the cobwebs off because I need to start interviewing. I, my last five jobs I had just been recruited for, so I didn't need to interview. So I hadn't interviewed in five years, something like that. So I interviewed just because I needed some practice. And then the guy was just such a jerk that I couldn't turn it down. So he was like, yeah, <laughs> this is a tough job. You're probably not going to do too well. Yeah. If you did want to take it and you're just like, watch me. Exactly. Which I love that yeah. mentality, yeah. by the way. Um, so you interview for that job. And then I guess, did you climb the ranks really fast there? Or like, did you did you learn the ropes really quick? Like, tell us about that job experience and how yeah. like it kind of opened your eyes to insurance and the possibilities in the insurance world. Yeah. So the the man who hired me, um, he was there for about six weeks mm-hmm. before he basically left the agency high and dry and moved back to Florida. Um, and so I looked around and I was like, there's 25 people here that are trying to feed their families, mm-hmm. pay their bills. And I'm one of them. And basically, I've, I have this belief that 
I can figure anything out mm -hmm. and it might be difficult, but if I just try, like what's the worst that can happen? You sure. know, better better to try and fail than to never try at all. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm gonna figure out how to run an agency because like these people need somebody. They're so with six yeah. weeks of experience, I basically started running the agency. Um, I was running it for about um, eight months by myself uh -huh. and then decided to move to another company after I had a few of my clients who passed away, it was life insurance at that point. Mm -hmm. They passed away, the claims were denied. And I said, you know, this is, this no longer feels good. And so we moved to another company. It's an interesting thing that you mentioned. So you saw the need for, I mean, guess it was like, nobody's running the agency, right. right? There was a void. Why did you step up and do that? I feel like most people would be like, eh, somebody else is gonna take care of it. And obviously the other 25 people that were working there did. Like, why did you? feel the need to step up in that when nobody asked you to. Right. And there was probably no promise of compensation either, whatever. Right. It was just like. I made way less when I stepped into leadership yeah, so, <laughs> because my job was not leadership. So I wasn't being paid for it. Sure. I was still a commission only, right. but 50% of my time was now leading. Uh -huh. So my pay went way down. Did you just talk with the owner of the agency and say like, hey, I know somebody needs to be in this role and I'm gonna step in it and occupy my time doing this and selling insurance? I just started doing the job and then the, the, they gave the title. There so, um, I don't know. I just, I couldn't stand by and watch people struggle and flail around. Mm -hmm. And I was willing to, you know, work overtime, work weekends, do whatever it took to learn the skills mm -hmm. that needed to be in place. So, and there was tons of other leaders there that supported me through that journey. And I had awesome agents that stepped up into other management roles. So it definitely wasn't like a one show, one pony show. Sure. Um, but I just couldn't not do something. So um, in that management role and like, I guess, doing that job, uh, where where did you start to see, I guess, um, a disinterest in working for big insurance? Um, I didn't like how everybody was just kind of treated like a workhorse. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like quotas, especially when it comes to insurance or life insurance. I don't think quotas are ethical because you should be doing what's best for the client. And right. if that product doesn't fit that client, but you're pushing it anyways because of a quota, like that to me crosses a line. And so I instituted no quotas in my agency. I say my agency, it wasn't my agency, sure. um, but, and that was a huge problem for corporate. Um, and we would constantly go based on what the budget was mm -hmm. and explain that, you know, your need for insurance is here, but we can afford what's here. So mm -hmm. let's get this and then we'll work our way up. Sure. That was a huge problem because it was, you should have pushed for, for the highest, for policy, the highest, um, what is it called? The deductible. Possibly, yeah. Mm -hmm. right? And you should have added on these other services and products and everything else. Um, so thankfully, the agents that were with me had the same mindset and right. were really truly looking out for the client, what was best for them. Right. Um, and we were able to be pretty successful, even breaking all those company rules. But when it came down to it, I was not okay with changing who I was sure. or changing my ethics to fit into a company. Sure. I'd rather find a company that fits my ethics. Right. Because at the end of the day, if you're pushing stuff that people don't need just to make money it's like these are mainly working class people right. that need their money and if you're selling them stuff with higher premiums just so that you can make money it's yeah. interesting that in america we sell our fellow man down the river to make money oh yeah it's it's the it's unfortunately like the truth to 
I guess our whole society of capitalism. Mm -hmm. I love being a capitalist. I love being an entrepreneur. But it is interesting to me when you see um, people, companies, especially, it's like, hey, we got to raise profits. Let's push X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, question for you, random. What percentage of insurance claims actually ever get like approved for? So it depends on the company. Um, so I work with carriers that have really good claims mm -hmm. history and they approve stuff. Um, I, with my brokerage, I'm very picky on what carriers I even sure. quote with. Uh -huh. um, so if they don't offer mental health as a covered thing, I don't work with them. Gotcha. Because I think a lot, we saw, especially during COVID, mm -hmm. we saw the lack of mental health in our in our country sure. and there was a lot lack of access and a lack of affordability mm -hmm. so for me if a carrier doesn't offer mental health i won't even quote with them right. um, but on the life insurance side unfortunately there's a lot of uh, companies that their policy is deny first and see if the person fights the claim really? and then move forward into actually paying it and so that was unfortunately the company that I was originally with, that was their policy, deny first. So just rule of thumb for everybody, if you have a life insurance policy and they deny you, Fight it. Fight it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, the good thing with that first company is um, I learned a lot about how easily I was manipulated by a company. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about you don't know what you don't know until right. you find out that you don't know a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to help three clients with state litigations against a company mm -hmm. and still be inside of the contract that I signed. So there's always loopholes in contracts. As a captive agent, I signed one. Mm -hmm. um, so when I quit, I said, you know, I, I can't help you with state litigation unless you subpoena me. So mm -hmm. all three clients subpoenaed me and I was able to testify on their behalf. If, if I hadn't have worded it in that specific way, then I would have been personally liable to pay out their policies. Right, you're not allowed to disclose that information unless it's actually required. Exactly. I get it, yeah. Um, interesting loophole. Yep. So you moved on from that job. What did what was your next venture? Where did you go next? So you walked away yep. from that and you're out of a job. I actually transitioned right into another life insurance um, company <clears throat> and I was able, they were kind of wooing me for about three months. Um, I was able to negotiate the um, contracts for my agents underneath me. Mm -hmm. At that point, I didn't really have any interest in working in the life insurance space anymore, but I had a lot of agents that were still super passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And so when we moved to this company, they were like, well, we don't offer contracts that high to start for agents. I said, well, you either offer my agents the highest contract possible, even if that means I'm only 1% above, because that's how life insurance works. It's all right. commissions and it flows up. I said, put me at the lowest you can, but get them as high as you can. And if you can't offer them this percentage, then you don't get any of us because I'm not going to jump and make them make less money. Right. Um, so we moved there and it was fine for about six months, but my rule was we don't do quotas. Mm -hmm. We won't be worked like workhorses. Mm -hmm. My people deserve mental health days. They deserve family days. They, they're going to set their own schedule. Mm -hmm. And that was fine for about six months. And then after they saw the production that we could do, the story flipped. And it was, you need to work, you need to work, you need to work, you need to work. Because, again, everything flows up. Right. Um, and so once I found out my agents were getting cussed out about their schedules, that's when we made the final jump. What was your typical schedule for insurance, uh, for your insurance agents? Because we're starting to see in the world because of COVID, 
that it's like, hey, people can work from home and mm-hmm. work on their own time. And they're still as productive. Like I get a lot of my work done like from 6.30 in the morning to about 9. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of my work done from 9 to like midnight. Like yeah. I, I don't like working during the day. And I'll field calls and messages and stuff like that and doing all that stuff. Um, but I, I typically tend to find that like I'm most productive the first three hours of the day. And then literally like once I put my kids to bed and everything like mm-hmm. that, it's like I can I can find uh, more time to squeeze out. Yeah. But what's the work life balance like for your agents and what kind of results did you see from letting them do kind of their their own thing or having a laxed schedule or being able to take mental health days? Because yeah. I do think that that's important. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it depends on the person. There's mm-hmm. some people that they want and need more of a structure. And mm-hmm. so for them as a leader, you say like, hey, and the way that I kind of word it is, these are when people will answer the phone mm-hmm. most often. So you don't have to work inside this window, but if you're only gonna work you know, four hours a day, this is a really good four hours to work. Um, So what's funny is most people in America don't realize that a full-time work schedule is actually 30 hours a week. Mm. So technically by insurance law, by federal law, a full-time employee is 30 or more hours a week. But unfortunately, a lot of people are told salary is 40 hours and then they are worked 60 hours because they're on a salary. And so with the first two companies, um, they'd have things that were called push weeks. You work 12 hour days seven days in a row. And then you don't get any time off. You literally just go back to your normal work schedule. And you do that once a month. That was once a quarter. Okay. And it was just to hit those numbers at the end of every quarter. Mm -hmm. And we saw such a decrease in productivity Mm -hmm. as the week went on. And we saw a decrease in culture as the week went on. And we saw just a decrease in happiness because people don't want their entire world to revolve around their job. Mm-hmm. I mean, even entrepreneurs need a break. Yeah. I do some of my best thinking when I'm digging in the garden or planting things, you know? Yeah. And so now I, I don't set a schedule. We don't have quotas. Um, we have way better happiness, way better retention with agents. Right. I don't have to worry about my agents. Um, and they know I'll answer their call whenever it is because I've got people that work until midnight and yeah. I've got people that are early risers. I'm not going to answer a 5 a.m. call, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm an early riser and I, I get after it. But um, early on in my career, I was grind. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know, um, obviously, the owner of the studio because I, I worked across the hall. I would come in and I would be in here at like 5.30 in the morning working and he would come in at like 8 and he'd see me every morning and be like, what's up? And then he would leave at like 6 and mm-hmm. I'd still be in there working and he'd be like, "Like, what are you doing? Right. Um, and so, I mean, for years I had that schedule, but what I am learning is, is like, you know, when I was young, I didn't have kids. Um, my kids were really young. I sacrificed a lot of time mm-hmm. and a lot of energy to do that and I, I am learning that you do have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your mind. Like you have to have, I guess, that that space right. to, to be able to continue to operate. Like your work career could be 40, 50 years. Right. And you don't want to just grind yourself into the dirt. And, yeah. You know, I think we've had this like hustle too. culture that mm-hmm. like if you're not hustling, then you're lazy. And I think that's really toxic. And yeah. I don't think that that's a healthy message because I think there's seasons of hustle. Yeah. But just to stay in the hustle zone, like 
eventually you're going to break down. Yeah. So it's better to take it and think of it more like a sprint instead of a marathon. I'm going to hustle really hard. I'm going to work 14 hour days for mm. the next three days because I've got it in me. Yeah. And then I'm going to take some mental health days and I'm going to kind of check out and I'm going to go back to family and I'm going to relax. Yeah. And just really finding what that work-life balance is for you because everybody's different. Mm. And like, I have OCD, but I've got ADHD too. Mm. And so for me, I'm like, I thought I was going to do this today. Nope, I need to do this because yeah. that's where my brain space is. So instead of fighting it, like, let me just go do what I'm supposed to be doing today. Interesting. So like you'll wake up and it's like, hey, I got to accomplish these two things this week. It's like, eh, my mind's really on this one. I'm going to go right. handle that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I've got sticky notes and they're piled up of like the emails I need to draft and everything else. Yeah. And But if I'm not feeling it and I'm not in a creative space, I'm just wasting my time trying to push through this stack of creativity right. because I'm going to have to go back and redo it anyways. It's going to it's going to take you more time because you're going to be dragging your feet through it. And then it's probably going to be less quality yeah. work. Do it right the first time. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So going back to um, that second company that you're working for and managing and stuff like that, mm -hmm. where, where did things start to go south there? And when when was the exit necessary? And then what did you do after that? Um, so. With that, it was good for about six months. And basically when I came in, I said, you know, this is how we operate. Mm -hmm. And as long as you don't push my people too far or treat us like workhorses, we'll continue to produce and we'll have our up months and we'll have our down months. And like, that's just how we are going to operate. And they were like, yeah, sure. No problem. Then the team came in and we broke a few records. And then from then it was Work, 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 work. That's all that was pushed. Um, so me being the rebel that I am, I was like, well, then I'm just not going to work at all. <laughs> like, if you want me to work extra, I'm just not going to work at all. Um, so I took a few months break and um, started kind of looking at what the other options were. Mm -hmm. uh, at that point, I opened my own brokerage and I was with a non-captive company. So there's captive where you cannot work for anybody else. Sure. And then there's non-captive where you're kind of an open agent. Um, so I shifted and opened my own brokerage and started solely operating in that space where while my agents were still pretty happy where they were. Um, and so I said, well, I'm going to go do this health thing and this mm -hmm. small business thing. I'm going to figure it out. And whoever wants to join me can. I'm still here for you on this side, um, but I am not going to be in communication with the higher ups or anything like that. So sure. if you need me, I'm here, but don't ask me to ask somebody else something. <laughs> right. So there's insurance agents, you know, for example, like a farmer's insurance agent mm -hmm. can only sell policies exclusively exactly. for farmers, yes. correct? So you leave the space, you get into uh, insurance brokering. Mm -hmm. So you find smaller insurance companies or- I love working with smaller as long as their access to networks is high okay. and their claims history is high. So you're just looking for the most logical and I guess the product with the most value for all exactly. of your customers. And that's what you're focusing on is like, I have a bunch of really good connections and products and right. stuff like that. And that's what you're getting hooked up. Yep. So you started doing that. Tell us about how that went. So you, obviously you walked into that. You're like, I don't know how to do this. Right. But again, your belief in yourself is I can learn all things right. and do all things. So we'll figure it out. Yeah. So tell us how you figured it out. Um, so that was kind of interesting. So I door knocked literally one day and mm -hmm. I don't know, I was just driving around. I was like, you know what? I just feel like I'm supposed to door knock. I don't know why. I'm just going to, I'm going to go knock on some doors for like mm. an hour. And the very last door that I knocked on, I almost didn't knock because I was like, oh my gosh, I've gone to 30 places and they're all like, get out of here. Isn't it funny how that works? <laughs> yeah. Especially because like yeah. insurance, when you're like, I'd like to talk to you about insurance or nobody's like, 
awesome. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I hate. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. And so the last door that I knocked on, they they were like, this is the weirdest thing. We literally, we had our morning prayer. We've been looking for a health insurance option and we've gotten five quotes from other insurance agencies and we've been praying for a solution. And so that was my first client. Nice. And it was just an office of three. Only two people took the benefits. Yeah. But I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so from there, especially because what I was able to find them was 40% cheaper than what everybody else was quoting them. Wow. And so that had me hooked because I was like, I can really make a difference here and offer some really valuable stuff mm -hmm. at a much lower rate. And I know how to work with negotiating with carriers because of the first company. And I know how to avoid claims being denied because of the first company. Mm -hmm. And so from there, it just kind of organically grew. Um, I didn't do any ads. Um, I've never done any paid ads. Mm -hmm. um, it's all just referrals, word of mouth and getting out in the community and I mean, our tagline is the health insurance rebels. Yeah. So we stand out a little bit. Um, and even on our website, when you log on, it says health insurance doesn't have to suck. Yeah. Because honestly, a lot of it does. Yeah. And so we just kind of went with a brutal honesty approach. Um, I don't do any follow-ups. My agents are not allowed to hard close. There's no quotas. Yeah. Um, and it, we really try and lead from the point of what is best for the customer, not what is best for us. And my agents know that I would rather them lose a deal than try and talk somebody into something. Sure. Um, so we come from an education standpoint. Um, what's great is we've seen such a higher close rate than we ever have in any other company that we've worked in yeah. um, because I mean, I show, this is how I show up to meetings. Sure. Half the time I'm in sweatpants and I straight up tell people if, if you don't want your insurance broker to show up in sweatpants, then I'm probably not your broker because sure. I'm not going to come in dressed fancy. Yeah. I'm going to come in as me. Yeah. You're going to do it on your own terms. Exactly. Yeah. And you're unapologetic about it. What I like though is, and this is how I like to sell. I'm so transparent with people because if you ever, I, I tell my sales reps this all the time, I'm like, guys, like, we're not duping people into pest control. We're not selling right. a bad product. It's like, we're selling a product people need. And it's like, if you're transparent with the customer, like, imagine if you bought something. Have you guys ever bought something that uh, it wasn't quite what you expected right. it to be? How do you feel about that? Yeah. You hate the product at yeah. that point. It's not even like, I dislike it. It's like, man, this did not fulfill the need that I thought it was going mm -hmm. to fulfill. And so you actually dislike that product more Right. Because it doesn't fulfill that need. And I tell my guys, it's like, if you guys overpromise and we underdeliver, that person is more than likely not going to like the product because of the way it was sold to them. Mm -hmm. When in reality, if you're just transparent and, you know, we tell people it's like, your bugs, they're going to come back. We're not going to get rid of everything. Right. As long as you set that expectation, when people see what that is, they're like, hey, this is totally normal. They were being transparent with me, didn't promise me the world. It's the same thing with insurance. Like, they're, it, listen, these are all the loopholes and the pitfalls and the added charges mm -hmm. and the things you don't want to do. We're not giving you any of those policies. This is what it explicitly says. Mm -hmm. Follow this. And like you said, people are like, yeah, I'll buy from you because there's no smoke and mirrors. Right. There's no, yeah, there's nothing Well, like half that. truth is still a lie. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of companies that are, they're very clever with the way that they word things. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not lying or yeah. they don't feel like they are. Yeah. But in my opinion, a half truth is still a lie. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm all about doing ethical and honest business and not selling my fellow man down the river uh, just to make money. Because at the end of the day, like it's just money. Right. 
They literally print new money every day. Yeah. So if I lose a client or lose a client because it wasn't the best fit, mm-hmm. I mean, there's several companies that I sit with and I'm like, look, what I was able to find you sucks. Yeah. I don't have a good thing yeah. for you, but I know four other brokers that might have something different. Yeah. Let me connect you with them. And so just because I'm not the solution doesn't mean that I can't still help that client find the solution. Yeah. And I'd rather see the company get something that they need than me get something that I want. Sure. Yeah, that that makes total sense. And it's interesting too, like how you come at it from that perspective too, because you've probably had people that phone you up and say, hey, mm-hmm. like Channing, I need an insurance broker. You said you didn't have a policy for me then, but we've changed our scenario obviously in mm-hmm. the business because businesses always grow and change or go out of business. Uh, but you're probably able to to reconnect with them then. And that's the thing is the name of the game is not how much money can I make right now? It's right. what can I make over a long period of time? Mm-hmm. And if you have that perspective, you're not just getting sales, you're building customers for life. Right. And they may not need you now, but when they do need somebody, you're the first person at the top of the mm-hmm. list because of the way you made them feel and because of the way you treated them. I yep. love that. Yep. Um, so you, you started the brokerage firm, sales are through the roof. Everything's going really well for you. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to start a second business. Yeah. Where, where does that I come actually from? didn't even want to start a second business yeah. either. Um, but, um, I'm part of a networking group okay. and they had an admin and she was like, Channing, I don't want to be this things admin, Mm. but it grew so quickly. And so I was just trying to negotiate between the networking group, like, how can we fix this? How can Mm. we make this something that you want to stick with? And the admin was like, you know, honestly, there's nothing to fix. It's not that I've had a bad experience. It's that I own my own company and I feel like I'm now just an employee because there's so much on this plate. And so um, when she stepped down, I stepped in um, and just kind of made the connections to people that I knew that were looking for remote admin work. Um, So I started the LLC. I put the people in place, um, but literally started that just because the networking group needed somebody. The owner of the networking group was like, can you help? Yeah. And me being me, I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this, but 100%, like, I'm in. Let's go for it. The need was there. Exactly. You decided, again, to step up and fill that need. Yeah. Um, Are they your sole client in that business, or have you guys added We've added more clients. Um, So it was just going to be an admin company, literally just for this networking group. Um, But... Then what I decided was, you know, I'm doing a lot of my own marketing for BHM mm-hmm. um, and for the insurance brokerage, and I can't afford anything that I've looked at. Yeah. And there's probably other small businesses that are in that same boat, or they're talking to people and the only option that's being offered is paid ads. Right. And I just don't believe that that, I think that there's a time and a place for it 100%. And I think there's industries that really benefit from it. But I don't think that it's the one and only solution, mm-hmm. um, especially because like for me, I would rather grow slow and grow organic because I'm going to have a lot better retention with my clients. Um, and so I said, you know, well, how can we take this company that we just formed and make it something that is accessible to small businesses? Mm-hmm. So we started memberships as low as 100 bucks a month for a full month worth of content. Um, we don't manage the social media, so I don't get your login. I don't post it for you, but we put everything into a spreadsheet and we do captions based on what's trending, hashtags, links, all that stuff. We create the graphics 
Um, and we've seen a lot of small businesses really thrive on it. And yeah. it, it eliminates a $500 a month ad campaign. Yeah. Now it's just a hundred bucks a month and content written for you. And the people have to do a little bit more legwork exactly. on their end. But at the end of the day, they produce the yeah. finished polished product, which they're probably going to be happier with in the end. Yeah without too much critique or like going back and changing. That's really smart. Yeah. And I always tell them too, like I've got clients that are like, well, you know, I'll, I'll post and then I look around and I haven't posted in seven days. Like keep doing whatever you're doing. Right. Let's just add this in. Mm. Like it's just supposed to be added in. And um, so, yeah, it's been great. So you're We've seeing success. So how do you have the time? And then your husband and you just started your third business. Mm -hmm. Why did you guys get into that? Um. So... Honestly, my husband has been looking for something to okay. do and he has a full-time job, but he's he was looking for a company right. that he wanted to start. So he kind of looked at ATMs and he looked at vending machines and he looked at a few different things sure. and nothing, the light bulb would go off, but then seven days later it would go out. And so nothing was really just like screaming out, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then he was like, you know what? What if there was a company that helped people do their home maintenance they didn't know about. And I, I said, well, that's a great idea, especially because there's a lot of insurance that even if you have homeowner's insurance, mm -hmm. if you haven't done maintenance on that item and you don't have proof of maintenance, it's not covered. Yeah. If a tree falls on your house, but you haven't had an arborist out in 12 months, it's not covered with most insurance policies. But if you have an arborist out and you can prove maintenance records, then that incident is now covered. So what is what do you guys charge for a service like that on, on like a normal homeowner's house? So we have maintenance mm -hmm. um, memberships. So starting at 99, mm -hmm. all the way up to 3,500 for the year. Mm -hmm. um, and we have, so we do dryer vent cleanouts, appliance maintenance, basically all the stuff that I don't even know that you're yeah. supposed to do. <laughs> it's stuff like, it's stuff like your dad Knows, right. Like exactly. Everything when he comes to your house on and visits and he's tinkering around with everything. Exactly. Like he's doing all those chores. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my brother-in-law just pays a, a guy basically to mm -hmm. be his employee full time to do housework. Sure. And so we kind of took the idea of like, well, I want a guy, but I can't afford to pay somebody full time. Sure. So like, how can I get a guy at an affordable rate? And so that's why Benson's was created. There you go. That's awesome. Again, it's, I, I tell my, my sales reps this all the time, like, it's about creating the need and finding a solution. Yep. Like that's literally the majority of businesses. Hey, if you can fulfill a need for a certain demographic of people and then create a solution for it, right. that's a business. Or yeah. it's it's a way to make money. Yeah. Right. It's like, Basically, if you say, I wish, whatever you follow that with, mm -hmm. that's an opportunity for you to create. Exactly. Even if it's, I wish there was an affordable marketing company. Yeah. Why wouldn't I be that? Sure. I yeah. wish there was a, I wish I could have a guy. How can we create that? Yeah. So there's something interesting about you that I want to point out. Most people that are running three businesses, like myself, are extremely busy mm -hmm. and don't have a lot of free time. How have you managed to have your businesses running and operate, uh, apparently very successfully, and have the time to do whatever you want? So one, I really value mental health. 
And I have realized that my ADHD is a superpower. Mm -hmm. But in order for my superpower to work, I need to let it work. So if that means today I go, like literally before this, I was digging out grass on my hill because I want to plant a garden. Mm -hmm. And so I came straight from doing that to here. Yeah. And my husband's like, why are you digging in the garden before you go on a podcast? I'm like, I don't know, that's what my brain said I was supposed to do, so that's what I did. Yeah. Um, but also automations. Like if you if you can't pay to outsource it, then find a software that automates it. Okay. And honestly, I think there's a lot of business owners that they overwork themselves because they feel like they have to right. because this hustle culture and I have to be busy. And if I'm not busy, then I'm not successful or right. I'm not valuable. And I look at it the opposite way. Like if I'm super busy, I'm undervaluing my people because there's a ton of stuff that they can do better than I can do. Mm -hmm. Why would it be on my plate if yeah. they can do it better? And why would I not open up a new job opportunity if my people's plates are full? Like, why would I not bring somebody else in? But for me, it just started with automations because that was a really simple way for me to duplicate myself without having to pay a full-time salary right. to somebody. It was extremely cost-effective, yeah. yeah. And that's where most of the world is going with AI and everything mm -hmm. like that. Like, I, no offense to Jimmy and the boys, but I saw a software that can edit my podcast for me just free. And it's like, oh, Man, yeah. that's going to save me some money. And it's like, why wouldn't I? And it's it's interesting how automation will put a lot of people out of jobs. But I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. Most business owners will kill themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like I'm a glorified secretary. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is businesses are cool. Making money is cool. If you get your business to a point where it's spitting out profit, it's awesome. Right. However, there are so many business owners that are slaves to their businesses. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is it's like, the money's great, but if you have no time to right. spend money, so something- I that, want my businesses to be blessings to me, not burdens. Sure. And so I just make, I'm really intentional with how I set them up. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that the first few months aren't just like work, how, you know, workhorses. Yeah. Setting up Benson's in the back end before we launched, technically we weren't even gonna launch until July, mm -hmm. but we already had clients saying, please come over, please come do this. Please. And I was like, all right, I guess we're launching in May. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, there was definitely 16 hour days and there was a ton of work that went into it, but we kind of start from the mindset of, all right, what do we, what standard operating procedures or SOPs do we think we need? Sure. Let's go ahead and write them. Yeah. How are we getting clients? Let's go ahead and write it. And so now we are going to be able to duplicate it. And the goal would be to franchise within a year and a half mm -hmm. and then national within 10 years. Um, but because we know where we want to go, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to get started and because we know the step to take. Yeah. And I don't have to stress about working on it all day, every day. I have people for that. And yeah. I started a company that literally has admins. So yeah. <laughs> And yeah, and to be honest, I think you're doing it right. Like uh, starting a business and having the correct expectations, long-term plan, processes, procedures, everything written down to start up because uh, my business failures have not come down to that. Like my, my business failures have been like, hey guys, let's slap together this business. Right. We're gonna go out and we're gonna sell a lot. We're gonna make a lot of money. Right. And like, we're all excited about it and everything like that. And then we get out there and you get punched in the mouth and you're like, wow, Yeah. throw money at it. Like that's yeah. always been the solution for me is like, I'm just gonna put more money into this, put more money into us. And what happens is, is if you don't have the correct procedures and, and processes set in right. place, 
you're spinning your wheels. Yeah. Um, and it's I, just like ads. If it's not targeted correctly mm-hmm. and you're yeah. not getting results, why are you continuing to pay for the ad? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> you might just need to tweak it, not to say you shut it down, but mm-hmm. you might just need to tweak it. So Channing, um, I wanted to ask you a question and just an observation. Um, you got into the insurance business. You kind of fell into it. Obviously, your grandpa did it. But you fell into the insurance business. And what I find is interesting is not only did you like work for somebody else, but you found the way to maximize your experience and time there by learning everything you could. Mm -hmm. And then you moved on to the next business and you learned everything you could about running something, Mm -hmm. which then prepared you to run and do everything Mm -hmm. else. That is not a typical attitude of an employee. Most Mm -hmm. employees clock in, clock out, can't wait for the weekend, clock in, clock out, and just kind of let that what do you think sets you apart um, from others? And why do you feel like you soaked up all of the knowledge that you could while you were at those agencies? Um, I mean, because so the unbeknownst, last... unbeknownst to you, you would have a business in a few years. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, the last three years, well, maybe probably four years, mindset has been huge for me. Um, and so really just trying to learn the way to think, right? So like in my house, we don't say if, we say when. And literally just that one little shift Mm -hmm. opens up a world of possibilities and makes it believable that you can go get it. Um, And just doing a ton of research for myself on like wealth. And, you know, there's there's times in my life when it, it felt like being wealthy was a sin, you know, that that wasn't something you were supposed to do. And now I'm under the full belief that I was designed, I think all of us are designed for wealth and prosperity because we're meant to give back and we're meant to be a blessing to others. And so it is my job to become as wealthy as possible so I can give back more and compound the efforts that I'm currently doing. And that takes money. And, um, I don't know. I just have this ridiculous belief that if I can't figure it out, it was something I was supposed to learn and that I haven't gone through anything in my life that hasn't eventually turned into a testimony or a lesson Mm -hmm. that I can help somebody else with or use for myself. And so now when I'm going through the clouds or going through the fog, because it still happens, um, it's just a little bit easier knowing that I don't know why this sucks and why I'm going through this, but I know for a fact if I choose to look around me while it's happening, there's a ton of things that I can take in and store for later, even if it's not for me, if it's some for somebody else. Yeah, I love that. My my actual why is um, I, I try to magnify and multiply the gifts, talents, and blessings God's given me mm-hmm. to add light, value, and joy to the lives of others. And um Clearly, you can see that just by being a good servant and -hmm. trying to serve your fellow man and trying to help somebody else out, the needs have opened up and you've stepped up into those roles to fulfill those needs. And you can't outgive God. What I love, what I love about entrepreneurship is it gives you a different perspective because truly when you start a business, your aim is to help Mm -hmm. someone else, right? And that might be forgotten over time as businesses grow and money starts flowing in and stuff like that. And you know, I, I think money is is a good thing, but I do believe that for me at least, like it's my moral obligation to be as successful as I can be mm-hmm. so I can help others. Yeah. Like it's easy for me to make money and there are people out there that need it. Yep. That 
can't, you know, I, I had an experience a couple of weeks ago where I was able to um, donate some funds to somebody who's very close to me. And it was under the table stuff because of a tragic accident that right. happened in their life. And I know that like, that was the best, you know, mm-hmm. $2,500 I ever spent because it's like, I can, I can make that pretty right. quick, but man, like that, that's life-changing yeah. for, for that, those people. So um, I love that. I love that mentality. So you've mentioned a few times mm-hmm. um, your big belief in mental health mm-hmm. and business. And I feel like this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. I know myself personally, I've struggled with a lot of my mental health and my psychiatrist, um, Dr. Kumar, he loved the guy. He uh, he tells me all the time, he's like, dude, what, what does it matter mm-hmm. if you build these businesses, you make all this money and everything comes crashing down mm-hmm. on you? He's like, I had a, a client... He had this business and he was stressed all the time because he was working all the time. He wasn't getting enough sleep and he had a family and he was making all this money and life got good for him. And then he kept working harder and harder and harder. And then he started going to the bottle for stress. And then he became an alcoholic. And because he became an alcoholic, his business started to fail. And because his business started to fail, he became more stressed, he started lashing out against his family. Then his family left him mm-hmm. and then he was left with nothing. Yeah. And that is not that uncommon. Right in the business world where people just lose it. And it's not like it it happens overnight and it's not because people are bad people. Right. It's the buildup of stress and the little things over so much time and not taking any time for your mind, not mm-hmm. taking any time for yourself and not, um, I guess, treating yourself to, to, to normal things. Like right. I'll go all day without eating. Right. Um, I, I, I will wake up and I, it's not that I don't love eating, I love food, um, I forget to eat. Yeah. I literally looked at yesterday and at dinner time, I was like, I have not eaten all day. Yeah. And I wasn't even working. Yeah. (laughs) I just literally forgot to eat. You you get lost in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed is like on day two, I'll be extremely cranky. It's like, why am I cranky? It's like, dude, you have not given your body the caloric intake that it needs to function. And when you really think about that, it's like, I'm sacrificing not only my physical health, my mental health for the almighty dollar. Right. You know, and when you actually think about it, it's like we would probably spend about 80% of our lives chasing after money. Right. That's got to change. Yeah. Like that's got to be, th- there's got to be a break off from that. Right. Like there's got to be something that, you know, the average person can do to to break from that. And so what, what are your ideas on, I guess, a, a world where you can work and be successful mm-hmm. and still have all your mental health and all the things and the benefits that you'd like? So, I mean, number one, find a hobby. So that hobby can be reading or if you're creative, paint, crochet. Mm -hmm. I've got ADHD, so I do a lot of different hobbies. (laughs) So, um, but just find something that just literally brings you joy. Um, And so like I crochet a lot Mm -hmm. and I love crocheting. And, but, you know, the first thought in my head is, well, how can I make money doing this? But it's a hobby. So I force myself, like I give them as gifts, um, but I I won't ever do it for money because then it just turns in, my brain turns it into another business. Um, And I read a ton. Um, So this year I'm challenging myself to a book a week. Um, So reading a ton, figuring out how to read too, because there is such a thing as skim reading. So there's valuable points in a book. You don't have to sit there and like literally take in every single word. Mm-hmm. You can take big concepts from a book. Um, I, f- I find finding a book that you love and then reading it a ton 
also helps. Mm -hmm. So Love Does by Bob Goff is huge. I've read it 13 times. I read it almost every year. Love Does? Love Does. Okay. Yeah. Self-help book? Yeah. Yeah. And it's all just, it's written in st like stories, like almost like kids stories. So right. it's really easy to get through. Right. Like I, now that I've read it 13 times, it's like a two hour book for me. Cause I'm like, I know exactly what he's saying. Yeah. Um, but it's just about taking action and being a yes person and yeah. being a blessing to others when you can be. And, um, but I think finding a hobby, taking in information. So whether that's podcast or um, whatever, scheduling your breaks and trying as hard as you can to schedule your workhorse days, yeah. but then being okay if it's not a workhorse day. Yesterday, I had literally blocked out the entire day for content creation, yeah. but I wasn't in a creative space. I'm not going to sit there and force myself to go into that zone if that's not where I am. I'm going to find a different use for my time, mm -hmm. and it can still be beneficial, um, but not being a slave to your calendar or to your business. Because at the end of the day, your business is going to do better if you can breathe. If you can't breathe, your business is going to suffocate with you. Mm. That is such a, I guess, a nugget of knowledge that I needed to hear for sure. Because <laughs> um, I feel guilty when I don't work. It's like when I'm mm -hmm. not working, I feel so guilty. It's A good way to break that schedule, afternoon naps. It'll drive you crazy I the first six times. Like, I don't want to do that. I know. I know how I'll feel if I take naps. That's the thing. That's how my husband is yeah, it's too. It's like, I know so how I'll So schedule like an hour and a half or something for something in the middle of the day. That's not work. Mm, do something so creative hard. or read a book or take a nap or take a bath or like do something in the middle of your day yeah. to break your brain up. And if you can get used to that, it's a lot easy. It's a lot easier for you to take those mental health days when your brain needs it. Yeah. Because that you're kind of just training your brain to say, it's okay for me to have me time. Yep. And I'm getting to that point where it's like, yeah, I need to, I need to give me more me time yeah. because I haven't had it. And I, if you don't, uh, my business partner tells me this all the time. He's like, dude, it's like the airplane. It's like, you got to put your own oxygen mask exactly. first before you can give to other people. And if your yeah. cup's always empty, you won't have something to pour into somebody else's cup. Like yeah. it just, it's not going to be there. Um, or if you love ice cream, go get ice cream in the middle of the day um, on a random Tuesday. I the, my problem is, is all my hobbies are work. Like you said, my, my, my brain, hobbies are work too. My, but. <laughs> my, brain, my brain works like yours. Yeah. Like I will start doing something. And because I have ADHD, like I will work on whatever. Right. And as soon as I start working on something, my mind instant like while I'm doing the work and your mind probably works the same. Yeah. It starts to churn and it goes, okay, what could I sell this for? Right. What could I do this for? Like, how <laughs> could I make money off of this? And as I'm, I mean, it takes me four or five, six hours. By the time I'm done, I have like a whole business model and plan worked out in my mind. It's like, do I want to invest money into this? And do I, the problem is, is it's gotten me into trouble. Like right. I have failed a lot because I wanted to start these businesses. And then six weeks later, I'm like, I'm not even interested in this right. anymore. And I've had to learn to be like, hey, is this the ADHD talking or right. is this actually like a real cash cow that you want to get in? Right. You don't need to follow everything that glitters. Yeah. So I do need to find a hobby. I just don't know what I like to do. Um, Legos are fun. Yeah. I'm not that guy. I like working out. That That is a, a good go. hobby. So it's, that's yeah. that's something that I do. That's my alone time. That's my, that's my me time. But um, Channing, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the podcast today and giving us um, – your perspective on how to run successful business and not only run a successful business, but have a successful life too and mm -hmm. have your dream life. Cause mm -hmm. it sounds like you're making the money, but you're also yep. having the time to enjoy it and having the time to enjoy others, Yeah, which 
at the end of the day, I don't think money buys happiness, but it right. buys you options. Yeah, so, for sure. Channing, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks All right, for having guys, me. We'll see you next week.